A massage. <laughs> a massage for your ears. <laughs> massage hello and welcome to the zero stars podcast a podcast about video games and pedialyte my name is bob my name is matt and we're going to talk about video games but first we're going to talk about the elixir of the gods a sweet ambrosia delivered from on high pedialyte uh i had never had it before i don't know maybe as a baby but it's clear actual use is for adults who think they might have had a little too much to drink i um was first introduced to it at a uh, at work because a bunch of my coworkers would keep it under their desks and I was shocked at how many of these young twenty somethings had children <laughs> and someone else had to point it out to point out to me that it's like it's no it's for for hangovers it's extremely uh, effective it's incredibly effective for hangovers but also like anytime you're just like kind of not feeling great like let's you got a little bit of a headache you're just kind of feeling grouchy or you tired got a case of the Mondays. yeah you got a case of the Mondays Drink some Pedialyte. You're going to feel a lot better real fast. Yeah, as somebody who gets a hangover these days from like three drinks, so it's like I'm hanging out with people, we're having a couple beers at the bar, and then I'm going home and going to sleep at a reasonable hour, and then I wake up and I'm like, oh, God, as though I live like Slash. <laughs> uh, Pedialyte knocks that out, dude. You can live the Guns N' Roses lifestyle with Pedialyte. Well, and I assume that's how they did it. I, I think it's kind of interesting that like, much like drinking alcohol, sometimes you feel that slope beneath you where you're just like, what's one more going to do? But now I kind of feel that with the Pedialyte, where I'm just like, what's another eight ounces of Pedialyte going to hurt? No, it tastes delicious, and it's only going to make me feel better. That is the real is danger, <laughs> is that it's too effective. So where I used to think, like, a few more beers will make me feel better, <laughs> now I know <laughs> that a few more Pedialytes will make me feel better. Yes, no matter what ails me. Yes. Yeah, next time that I, like, I don't know, lose my arm in a horrific car crash <laughs> where it's sliced off by the seat belt the as next I time. flip my Corvette <laughs> on, you know, the road. I don't know. <laughs> wherever I'm driving it, a cornfield. <laughs> Anyways, when that happens, when I wake up the next day in the hospital, the first thing I ask for will be Pedialyte. What an ad that is. We just wrote a fantastic ad for a more self-aware Pedialyte. <laughs> this is definitely made by, like, Gerber or something. I'm not even I sure. I don't know. We do not spend for brand name necessarily. I think that we were... Most recently, uh, chugging some off-brand Pedialyte. That was, that was Walgreens brand. But the powdered stuff that we got, is uh, which travels real well, I should add. Yeah. Um, if you're on a plane, definitely bring some Pedialyte. I'll bet you that it would be really effective for that terrible, crusty feeling you have on a plane. Oh, yeah. Because you dehydrate yourself immensely when you just fly. So yeah. drinking some Especially because you're just drinking the whole time. You're just so, in first yeah. class <laughs> requesting more and more liquor. Because it's free. <laughs> <laughs> um no you just you, the friendly skies. if you're me you just ask for a club soda and then pour in your you know pink lemonade pedialyte <laughs> it's definitely not that it's like banana something <laughs> pink banana pink banana but if they were smart they'd make pink lemonade and market it to an adult audience yeah i think that honestly we'll we'll come around to that point in the same way that now there's like nyquil that just puts you to sleep called zquil i didn't know about that Th it's called that Z-Quil. seems really insidious it's so messed up yeah. dude there's no fathomable reason where that's a legit product it's like making robitussin that's just for tripping <laughs> yeah totally it's it's such a good like you're having a marketing meeting and everybody's like, well, what if we just took out the ingredients except for the part that knocks you out and makes you feel groggy the next day? <laughs> and then somebody else is like, don't worry, you'll recover with Pedialyte, another <laughs> Johnson & Johnson product. Oh, boy. This is what, what an ad for Pedialyte this has been. Yeah. So uh, if you ever buy some, use code STARS at the checkout. And they'll know that we sent you. Or just tell your, your CVS employee, STARS. <laughs> They'll know what you mean. Scream if, it at them. If they don't know what you mean, introduce them to the podcast. Yeah, tell your friends. Tell them to rate and review on iTunes. Thank you. Bye. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All, right, All right, so uh, we're going to talk about video games. Matt, you are the news editor. I am the news editor. Here begins the news hour. Um, this might be a little bit of a lengthy news hour because I think we're going to get into some tangents. <laughs> 
Call of Duty Black Ops 4 breaks the Roman numeral tradition using four lines to indicate fourth entry in series. Are these tally marks? To in- indicate how many lives Call of Duty has taken? Maybe. <laughs> it's only taken four lives. In reality, how many actual physical lives do you think Call of Duty has claimed? Um, Probably a fair number of just people saying, just one more game before their heart gave out. <laughs> just one more round. Okay, so it's it's Call of Duty Black Ops 4 hash marks. With four lines. It's unclear whether they mean this in the Roman numeral tradition, because as it turns out, I looked up this up, and Eurogamer had spoken with the British Museum. Thank God. And you can use just four lines to indicate a Roman numeral 4. That's interchangeable with the uh, IV. But uh, it's unclear whether Black Ops 4 has decided to do this in the Roman tradition, the lesser-known Roman tradition, or in a tally mark tradition. As though you, like, you are imprisoned and you are counting the days yes. until they stop making Which Call of Duty games. I guess it begs the question, like, we won't know until Call of Duty 5 comes out and whether it's a V or it is a slash through four marks. Uh, which There I- is a rumor that Battlefield 5 is the name of the new battlefield, which will take place in World War II, and mm-hmm. it uh, is a Roman numeral five. Interesting, because so. they've always done they've always done the um, Num- numbers alphanumeric, yeah, yeah or whatever you want to. Battlefield call. two was famously oh. just a two. Yeah. Famously, they just dropped the battlefield, <laughs> <laughs> the famous two. Um, it's interesting. Also, also interesting. I'm not even sure why, how why this is interesting, but. Uh, Black Ops 4 <laughs> that sums up this podcast in a nutshell <laughs> Black Ops 4 will also be on Battle.net Blizzard's platform oh that totally makes sense I've been waiting for this to happen yeah I think that the previous Call of Duty might have been on there I know Destiny really? was Destiny just got picked up on there yeah um, and I mean it's an Activision I've been waiting for them platform, to make that a competitor to Steam uh, whenever I use Battle.net I'm extremely impressed by it I've never used it before, but I am I'm now more curious and will probably buy a giant Mac gaming rig <laughs> so that I can log on to I want you to buy an eight thousand dollar Mac Pro when they introduce it with like four game monitor that's been rumored for that thing, and I want you just to play Call of Duty Black no, Ops. I, what forward. would happen is that I would open Steam, try and download it, and it would be for Windows only. <laughs> well, I mean, the real thing that would happen is you'd open Steam. Actually, I would like to amend a previous rant that happened on an early episode of this podcast that devotees might remember, uh, in which I was very critical of Steam for having a very low-res client on the Retina iMac, uh, on any Retina screen Mac. It just looked terrible. They have updated it a little, I think. When, when did they? I don't know. I just noticed when I was playing Remnants of Nazith recently that it doesn't look quite as terrible as it used to, but still doesn't look what I would call good. <laughs> Are you sure it's not like Stockholm Syndrome that's got you? That's more likely, because I'm just <laughs> enjoying Remnants of Nazis so much, and then I kind of look over at it, I'm like, it's not so bad, <laughs> and then I go back to the game. <laughs> All right. Uh, the Division 2 is coming out. I don't care. Monster Hunter World is Capcom's best-selling game of all time. Yeah, and without us. Yeah, over the course of its thir- of Capcom's 38-year history. This kind of begged the question, though. Are they counting Resident Evil 4 sales across every platform? I have to imagine they are not, because, because I, yeah. well, personally, I have bought Resident Evil 4 four times. I have bought it, I, I bought it three times and had it purchased for me once, which might be your fourth on the iPhone. Oh, I didn't. No, no, no. I wasn't even you counting, counting that. that. All right. So I've bought Resident Evil Four five, five times. Though so that iPhone version is not a good copy of Resident Evil. Actually, 4. no. I bought it four, four times myself. You know, I also had a copy of that 3DS game, Resident Evil: The Mercenaries, which was clearly the four engine. Ugh. It was real grungy. It was not mm. good. Did you like throw guns at people with the like little stylus? No, it was. It, actually, that game was just bad, and it was just the mercenaries mode and. It had a very poorly done facsimile of the town from the opening of Resident Evil 4. It, it was bad. It says a lot about me and my love of Resident Evil 4, though, that I really want to experience that town in every weird variation that's ever been created. Like, I know it so well that the idea of being able to revisit it on an entirely new platform is always exciting, I, even when it's like a demake. So, I am extremely excited to live in a time when eventually they will remake that game. 
and like remake it remake it yeah and like unlike god hand where i feel like there's no chance of them ever making a more improved version of god hand that just looks prettier uh i think it's totally feasible that within the next five years capcom will realize that they can make more money from me (laughs) but shinji mikami is not going to come back and redo it the way he did with resident evil one no that would be incredible i mean that's uh, do we trust somebody else I think that they would be too scared to really mess with it. And so I think that more than anything, it would just be an extremely good looking version of that game that runs on the engine from seven or something. Yeah. And I would be into that. I'd love it. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, yeah, seven's probably going to be outdated by that point. But if it had a first person mode too, that would be really interesting. I don't know if I like it. First person. It seems like Shinji is into that though with this evil within thing. I I mean, I just like anything that limits your point of view even more. I find that interesting. I agree. Anyway, moving on. There was a Nintendo Direct on Thursday. There was. Did you Did you watch it? I did not. I didn't either. But I was getting (laughs) some live some live uh, reactions. I mean, other people. They really pulled out a lot of the stops, and they. My prediction is true. And there is a new Super Smash. Yeah, Super Smash. And it's interesting that you did not use the full name because I want to ask you about that. Super Smash Brothers is coming to Switch. <laughs> and it has uh, the little Splatooners in it. Yeah, my squid my squid kids. Yeah, why is Squid Kids not spelled Squid Q-U-I-D-S? That's a, that's a remarkably good question (laughs) also is this a port that's what i don't understand is it a brand new smash or is it a port the so this is an interesting point uh the most recent smash brothers game was developed by namco uh who is actually currently working on the metroid prime 4 game that was announced oh i didn't realize that uh and this game ahead of this trailer they showed the hal labs logo uh, Hal being the organization that developed the original Super Smash Brothers and all of them until that most recent one. So that lends credence to the idea that this is maybe not a port of the Wii U game, but I wouldn't be surprised if no matter what, it's a very similar game running on the same engine and they're just adjusting it. Yeah, with some new Squid Kids. Also, this is the real question. Everybody seems to say Smash Bros. Do you say Smash Bros? I just say Smash because I'm, you know, a smash. pro. Just makes me think of Friday Night Lights. I'm a Smash Pro, not a Smash Bro. <laughs> uh, neither of us have played Smash in a long time, I don't think. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> also, there's a Solar Amiibo. Hello, Dark Souls, my old friend. This is the real news of this week. This is there definitely is the, the first time I've ever wanted Dark to Dark Souls Amiibo. Which is astounding and the first time i've ever wanted to buy an amiibo but i am disappointed that it is not an onion knight amiibo that you are totally right dude it reminded me that dark souls is coming to the switch and nothing else matters do we have a release date on that yet uh it's in may it's may 26th i think it's very soon all right uh so i'm gonna get married and while i'm on my honeymoon dark souls is gonna come out on the switch i'm gonna return and then I'm going to get divorced because all I'll be doing <laughs> is playing Dark Souls on the Switch. Uh, very exciting. Oh, I am yeah. so excited. But also, I will buy that Amiibo. I currently it? have a, a Squid Girl Amiibo. Yeah. And they will be friends, and I will put them on my desk. Uh, do you buy the physical copy of Dark Souls, or do you buy digital so you can always have it? I buy digital. The only physical game I have on the Switch is Zelda. And I leave it in the cartridge slot, and I buy everything else digitally, and it's awesome. Have you gotten a new memory card yet? No. All right. You might need to do that for Dark Souls. I'm willing to pay whatever price. Undertale is coming to the Switch slash was somehow not on the Switch already. I've never played that game and probably won't. Why don't, do you not have any interest in it? Uh, I have mild interest in it. This is a nostalgia-fueled JRPG type thing, right? I don't know if I'd call it nostalgia fueled. It's a uh, it's entirely unique and really doesn't borrow other than tonally from very many other games. Okay, uh, it's actually kind of a bullet hell game, really. The main really yes, uh, and I'd almost suggest that you if you've gotten this far without pl- knowing much about it or playing it, I would suggest that you don't read anything more and maybe just pick it up at some point. Uh, I the, love Ikaruga, man. Yeah, it's a little bit. It's different than Ikaruga because it's not like a. It's not like a traditional bullet hell, but it is the combat system. Should you decide to engage with it, is it, depending on how you engage with it, is really interesting. 
Wow, that's and it's actually uh, it's a little bit more twitchy than you would expect. Yeah, I had no idea. And I haven't played it with a controller yet, but I imagine that I would like it more with a controller because I played it on my computer using a mouse and keyboard. And uh, but it's a very cool game. Interesting. The music is phenomenal too. I've heard that. I would recommend it. I recommend check that. I would recommend Undertale to just about anyone i think the one thing i don't like about undertale is that like its fandom is sort of rabid and a little toxic that put me off as well understandably see also rick and morty yes i it i don't think there's even that much crossover between the two but it is a hundred percent like that same level of like rabidity yeah the the, the word that maybe diagrams crossover and in the center it just says dicks (laughs) (laughs) oh but it's such a a narrow crossover that has to be written very small. Yeah, it's just vertical. Yeah, in Japanese kanji. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Trump meets with video game industry members. White House cobbles together highlight reel of sick violence. Did you watch this video? It's I did. fucking awesome. It's so insane. Games featured on the video include Sniper Elite 4, The Evil Within, where he actually gets his head taken off, yes. which feels like a callback to Resident it Evil is. 4. It totally is. Which, should have just, which Sarah Huckabee Sanders did not appreciate. Dude, they should have just shown every death from Resident Evil 4 <laughs> in that video, and then just my friend Sean in high school going, oh, I gotta get this game. The first time he saw Leon get decapitated with a chainsaw. It's just been like, see what it does to the youth. Do you see? It never featured Doom, which really kind of disappointed me. Doom Doom was a Democratic talking point. Right? Back in the day. Yeah. Oh, the so original Doom. That's yes. what I'm saying. So yeah. this is not something like Tipper Gore is pissed about Doom. She's and still also, pissed about and Doom. also the band Wasp. <laughs> uh <laughs> Yeah, she's probably still pissed about Doom. Um, this, if you have not watched this montage, you should watch this montage. It, it does feature no Russian. It of does, of course, it features which, no Russian. Which from is Call the of one Duty. part that also makes me go a little cold, dude. No Russian is still ultra fucked up, and man, I just can't believe how good Call of Duty Four, <laughs> Modern <laughs> and Warfare, and 2 Modern is. Warfare Two are. That's yeah. the problem with it. I see it and I go. Man, it sucks that that's in those incredible games. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Those games are good. I mean, even when you're watching it, you can't help but think like, but those sounds are so good. And it probably feels so good. Yeah. Other Mm. than the fact that it is extremely fucked up. It's really fucked up. And not interesting. No, it's It's such a stupid thing. It's not the least bit interesting. Like, (sighs) there's zero commentary. Its purpose within the plot is silly. It's, it's just there so that it could be shown in a montage to a politician to get pissed off. Ten years later. That's literally why that exists. Yeah. God, I hate it. But anyways. Way to go, Infinity Ward. Yeah. <laughs> like, now now look at you. <laughs> uh, this is what happens uh, when you make no Russian. Anyway, there were um, attending were heads from Take-Two, Bethesda. Uh, the head of Bethesda being named Robert Altman, something I did not know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and the uh, people from the ESRB were there. Um, I, nothing came of it. I don't think anything will come of it. It seemed like they just wanted to cobble together some sick fucking violence. Dude, it is um, it is a little bit of a montage of just like controversial moves in the pro gaming scene. <laughs> <laughs> like it has a little bit of that. There's also a sequence from Fallout 4 in it where they shoot a man in the head like Five and it times takes forever, but when his head finally explodes, it actually just like explodes it's like a grape, which is something I always forget happens in Fallout. Fallout, games. like, but like the most resilient grape that ever. Yes, lived. it is so. It is so silly when you have just an RPG where it's like, well, it's stat based, so you can shoot this man in the head a lot. And I just love the idea that if you have no concept of video games, you're watching that, and it's just like, oh, they made it so you could shoot him in the head again and again <laughs> and again. And they're uh, right. And they, yeah, exactly. That's the thing is that that is also part of the point. <laughs> what a bloody mess. So anyway, I want to talk about violence in video games. Okay. Do you like it? it I, yes. I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb. Controversial move right here. Yes. Why do you like it? I like it because it lets me know that I am hitting the enemies and or that my character is being hit 
And in the case of like Resident Evil 4, where it's violence done to your character and it's extremely over the top, it's a ton of fun in a slasher movie kind of way. And in the case of Tomb Raider, where it's extremely graphic, but it's like a piece of rebar going through Laura Croft's face, I hate it because it is extremely realistic and that takes all the fun out. I want it to be a zombie man biting Leon S. Kennedy's head off after a snake bursts from his mouth. It's interesting that the first thing that you said about this, too, is that it's about reactions. That violence, when done well in video games, is about being able to read enemy reactions and know, like, well, what is my next move based on what just happened with that enemy? Because you immediately draw the, par- the, the line between what is... What's the problem with violence in film and television as opposed to what's what's the or what's the purpose of violence in film and television as opposed to what's the purpose of violence in video games where it tends to be featured ad nauseum? Well, I think that in both cases, violence is cool. And I use that term kind of as a joke, but I mean, I mean, it. it's like a useful tool when it is a device that's mechanical. So yeah. if something is very violent in a film and it serves as a really shocking incident where you squirm and you feel bad because it's so messed up that this would happen to another person, that's valuable. Or when it's in a video game and you know you rip a dude's arm off in Doom and you're like, that guy is dead now. It's, that's a valuable mechanical tool. Yeah, it's, But it's, when it's, it's gratuitous, I hate it. Uh, sometimes the gratuitous, if it serves a, fic- a frictive purpose, is can be certainly be powerful. I mean... I guess that everything in Doom is gratuitous, but at a certain point you have to set a baseline and their baseline is 140%. Yeah. I mean, and I think that sometimes frictive violence doesn't have to be gratuitous or bodily at all. I was thinking about that otherwise not particularly great movie, The Mist. Oh, we watched a movie called The Mist that was terrible. Terrible. But do you remember that moment when the men are journeying into the mist and they have a rope tied around them and they disappear and the others are holding the rope and suddenly the rope goes taut and then the rope flies up to the like the top of the door and it is just that is a frictive violence that is extraordinarily potent, terrifying and And I mean off screen. And off screen, entirely off screen. Which I think says a lot. It's hard to do that with video games because you need to see reactions. But you know, seeing the reaction of the rope in that case, there there are ways to do violence very well, and I think that in those moments, it is a valuable tool, and it's not just wow, that's super gory. Yeah. Um, and I think that most people, when things are just super gory, do not enjoy it, or just kind of go, "This is dumb." Yeah, certainly this is dumb. Or what is the purpose? I mean, if you're not asking yourself what is the purpose of whatever you're watching, then... Then you're not us. Yeah, clearly. Um, so, <laughs> Fools. Then you didn't go to a liberal arts college. Uh, so if you had to assemble a, <laughs> a, fo- a, a, a montage reel of sick violence... For President Trump, My what would you include? My number one thing, it would just be the death animation when you shoot an imp with a shotgun in original Doom again and again and again for like a half an hour. At one point, I ran a short-lived Tumblr blog called pixelboner.com, and it was just GIFs of sick pixel violence, and the inaugural post was the death animation of an imp going down to a shotgun in Doom 1, and it's so awesome. It's like it's like a total of five frames, yeah. but perfect. I think maybe even fewer frames than that, but there's like this chunk that comes out of the chest. It's so like tactile, and every time I see it, it makes me uncomfortable. And when I was a little kid, I remember seeing it and actually being scared, yeah. not wanting to play that game ever again. And there's something so great about the idea that this terrifying thing is happening and you're just scared and you have this shotgun and just bam, and that thing goes down. I mean, it reminds you again of your power because video games are power fantasies, but in which you are the most fragile yes. creature. Nothing makes you feel more alive than remembering that you can stay alive. Well put. Moving on. That's all I had, actually, for the news. <laughs> I thought we were going to talk about violence for a long time because I had all these studies, but that seems kind of dry. To me, it seems like all of those studies say that violence in video games doesn't matter. Am I wrong? That's pretty much what all the studies say, although I think that talking about violence and culture is always super important. Um, Not as important as maybe talking about some other problems with video games, such as 
uh, terrible <laughs> narratives, feed, violence against women, feedback loops, especially, and things that things being gamified in ways that I think are not helpful for anxiety. Um, <laughs> yeah, and depression. I mean, you see this more in social media, which is used a lot of those loops. But I mean, yeah. I, other than Kane and Lynch, I don't think violence in video games is a, is is I statistically a, a a indicative of. Not that I don't think, but it has been proven, quote unquote, proven in studies. Studies have found. I'm going to keep revising this I until like it. we no, can keep going. More we are air no longer culpable. No one will be able to see. <laughs> uh, s- s- the vast majority of studies, I believe, maybe every single one of them, have found no uh, correlation and certainly no causation between violent video games and real life violence. Yeah, if you want to see something that I would call bad video game violence. Uh, Kane and Lynch 2 is the canonical example because there is something there is something about real violence in the real world where when people get shot it's like very quiet uh, and there's not an insane amount of blood but you just see that somebody is dead like yeah. uh, you know I haven't seen a lot of people getting shot in real life but anyway uh, I think that we have all unfortunately because of the modern media age that we live in yes. unwillingly witnessed death and real death and it's which is i never which is things that I, this is why i don't go on twitter frankly and things that like that like you can't unsee twitter is death I mean, it's really upsetting how many subreddits are devoted to watching people die i've never delved into that but i mean that's i haven't either up. but i've seen the subreddits like the, i the believe names. it but and i mean that's and that's kind of it right is that People it's get a quiet, high off of that, it's though, and it's it's just kind of sad and depressing. Incredibly sad, and and, yeah. and it just has no punch. And if you play Kane and Lynch two, there is no doubt in my mind that that's a pretty realistic depiction of what it would be like to walk through Hong Kong and shoot people in the head. And it's so messed up, and I hate it. Nothing about it feels good. Nothing about it looks good. It looks like a snuff film. They went out of their way to make it look like a snuff film. I think that there is some weird artistic value in the way that they did it. And I think that... I kind of respect them for it, yes, but I, I don't like it. I have no desire to play it. And yeah. I think it's not a good video game. And I think that if the purpose... if like the form that your art has taken is proving a point by making a bad version of the thing you're making... Maybe it's not a great expression of your artistic ideas. Agreed. All right. So what have you been playing? Dude, what have I been playing? I have had a hell of a week. I haven't actually really gotten to play very much. Um, Actually, I haven't gotten to play anything. (laughs) Uh, You know what I did play? I got Alto's Odyssey on my phone. What is that? So Alto's Adventure was a game that came out on the iPhone and was very well regarded. Um... And I never played that one, but it seems like if it's anything like this one, and I think that they're basically identical, uh, it was similar to Tiny Wings in the sense that it's a big sloping hill and you are a skier. You go down it left to right, side scrolling. Um, You're just moving forward no matter what. Are you a human skier? You are. For some reason, I had it in my head that Alto was a dog. No, though there are llamas in this game. I think I might be thinking of Balto. You might be thinking of Balto. Mm. There's a part in Balto where he flees some falling stalactites, and I always thought it looked like Sonic. (laughs) Uh, That tells you everything you need to know about me. Um, So Alto's Odyssey is now the sequel to this game, Um, and it's just a game where you move left to right automatically. There are obstacles in your way. You press a button, the dude jumps, and so your goal is to jump when you have enough air to hold the screen long enough that he'll do a backflip because the longer you hold it the more he rotates Mm. and so your goal is to do these backflips land and then jump again right and just go as long as you can get points i this game is extremely well regarded i have never seen anybody say anything negative about this game yeah it's always at the top of every single chart i think it sucks I think it is bad i think that all of these people should go buy tiny wings which is a good game this game Maybe, I don't know if it's my colorblindness. I don't know if I have an inability to understand visual cues. Uh, The obstacles in this game, many of them are rocks that are on the ground. And they do not differentiate enough from the background. And the background's this beautiful, it looks gorgeous. It's like this parallax scrolling Mm -hmm. craziness, right? 
but I can't see the rocks. And then I just hit the rocks and my run ends and I say, oh, that was a bad time. And I don't open the game again. And then I see it on my screen and I go, well, I must be missing something because people like this game. And I open it up again and I think it just feels slow. I think it looks good, but it's good looks get in the way of it playing well. It's just not, it doesn't have any of the joy that Tiny Wings does where you're just so excited to be this bird that gets to fly in his dreams. It just sucks. None of this surprises me considering the fact that traditionally most of the top paid and or free apps have been pretty shitty, which is indicative of exactly like where I guess the gaming industry at large is. I don't know, man. I'm glad I gave them five bucks. Because five bucks, but like I think that we should pay real money for software on phones. I mean, phones are very powerful computers, and yes, I want people to make good software. And I mean, this, but like I can think of other people that 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 five bucks would probably help out a lot more than someone who's consistently at the top of the app store anyway. Well, yeah, but that's like saying I'm not gonna buy a Call of Duty game even if it's good, but you could have gotten Cinco Paus, and I should have. I a game that continues to enchant me thoroughly, even though I have not gotten any better at it and still do not understand Portuguese. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And oh, I, I, I if, adore it. If somebody out there has played Alto's Odyssey and really likes it and doesn't have this issue with just running into things and feels like it is a better frictive experience than Tiny Wings and or even comparable, please write in to podcast at zerostars.co that is a co please write in and explain to me why this game is so good why it is so well regarded other than the fact that it looks real sharp i can't think of a reason why anybody would like this game over tiny wings there's a lot of any of the other endless runners that exist there's a lot of prerequisites to that person writing in (laughs) They have to have played Tiny Wings. They have to have played Alta's Odyssey. They have to remember that it's .co and not .com. They can go get Tiny Wings, and it's the best. I don't even know. I think it's like 99 cents. Go buy Tiny Wings. Didn't you just had, had a great time. come out, and it was free? It was free if you owned yeah. the original. I mean, Tiny Wings is just a very meditative game. Is Balto, Alto's Odyssey a... <laughs> Balto's Odyssey. <laughs> also, Balto. <laughs> Yeah, so I haven't played anything else. Uh, I did have a great weekend with some friends. Had a bachelor party. It mainly hey. consisted us of us all being in a hot tub, drinking Pedialyte, and playing video games. And some really good things happened. Namely, that you got to play Super Monkey Ball. I did get to play Super Monkey Ball. Well, I got to play one mini game in Super you Monkey Ball. You got to Ball play Monkey Target. That realistically could last anyone their entire life. Monkey Target is... An exceptionally well-designed game, seemingly by accident. Yeah, so Super Monkey Ball is on the Nintendo GameCube. A uh, hot current machine. Yeah, I, from what I understand from like a lot of the, the commentary that was flying by me while we were playing, some Super Monkey Ball 2, not great. Every s- next Super Monkey Ball game after 2, even worse. Much worse. Yeah. Um, Who's the who's the creator of Super Monkey Ball? I forget his name, but he went on to make Binary Domain and the Yakuza games. Oh, right. It's the Yakuza dude. I knew that there yeah. was some unlikely follow-ups. Yeah. Um, he's I mean, he's a very talented game designer. I really personally wish he had just continued to make Super Monkey Ball until he died, but you can't win them all. Yeah. Maybe he'll become Prime Minister of Japan. Fingers crossed. Um Super Monkey Ball, the uh, what's this called? Target? Monkey Target. In Monkey Target, you are at the top of a very long slide, and you are a monkey in a little ball, and you push your monkey in the ball down the slide and gain momentum, and then you fly up into the air at the end of the slide. You then are flying through the air at a series of targets that lie in a grand and vast ocean, and you can pick up uh, bananas as you go. At a certain point, while you are flying through the air, you will want to open your ball, at which point the ball turns into a sort of pair of wings that will allow you to uh, ride the wind, essentially, if there is any wind, or and ride your momentum towards one of the targets. Should you press the A button that opened the wings a second time, you will immediately close the ball and drop right down below. So depending this is very on much, the wind. Depending on the wind. So this is very much a physics simulator in many ways. Um, and it is a physics simulator that's... Not the most complex, but it is so finely tuned to what it is trying to do that it is immensely fun. It's very easy. It's easy to learn, 
and incredibly hard to master, which is really, I guess, like the best description you could ever give to a game like this. And it's just like, importantly, it's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. This was your first experience with it. Yes. And I've played it a lot. You have played it extensively. Uh, yeah. What did you think? I mean, I, I loved it. I thought it was a ton of fun. Yeah. I, like I said, I think that like it is an easier learning curve than I had expected. And I had played the other version of Monkey Ball, the regular game version. The in which like you were, main mode. When which you is, were tilting a level. It's equally a physics simulation. Yes, and but a very different kind. And I enjoyed that too, but not as much as I enjoyed this. This feels like the best Mario Party minigame that you and your friends are like, oh, I hope it's I hope it's the like Monkey Target one. I hope it's Monkey Target, and then like you kind of eventually decide like, what if they just put out Monkey Target? Yeah, and like frankly, if they just put Monkey Target on Switch and it costs fifty dollars, I'd buy it right now. <laughs> I mean, it is a very good game, and the best part is that every subsequent Monkey Ball game they have included a Monkey Target variant, and they always try to improve it in some way by perhaps incorporating elements of bocce ball or something like that. Uh, and none of these ideas are terrible on the face, but they never nail the actual feeling of flying to the same degree. And what's crazy about this game is that so much of it is about every time that you start, you're assigned a randomized wind. Yeah. And each player, my only complaint is I think in each round, the wind should be the same for every player. Yeah, but it's randomized at the beginning of the round. Uh, yes, that's my thought. Yes, but okay. instead, it's just that whenever you start, you get a different wind. Um, and the wind really affects the way that the flight mechanic works. And to get really high scores, you're actually stalling out your flight, which is a very uh, realistic thing exceptionally, that people can do in planes. An exceptionally realistic part of the physics simulation. Also, the most difficult part to master in my experience oh it's and it's difficult to explain to somebody because it's totally something based on feel that yeah. once you understand it you go like well obviously you will stall here and if somebody has no idea what they're doing they just soar into the ocean it is it is a it's it's such a compliment to this game though that uh, this gamecube game running at 480p and i presume 60 frames per second just because What's the difference? But it's still it's it's low resolution relatively, and we were playing it on a TV that was relatively far away from us, and still the feeling of flight was so potent, yeah, and the sense of propulsion was just so excellent. It is it reminds you like what a dream games that actually nail the sensation of flight actually are. I totally agree, and it reminds you that in many ways we get blinded by the idea that technology improves when what really just needs to improve is that people need to sit down and go, this would be a fun thing to do in a video game. And nothing else matters. Graphic Graphical fidelity only matters half as much, and realistic physics only matter half as much as just getting physics that feel good. Yes. And good controller sync. Yes. Like Completely. Yeah. You man. never doubt your control over the monkey. What a game. What a game. So... I, I really enjoyed revisiting Super Monkey Ball. Yeah, how would somebody play Super Monkey Ball if they wanted to? Would, would you have to buy a game? If you want to play Super Monkey Ball 1, uh, and specifically if you want to play Monkey Target, I think the only way to do that is with the GameCube. Uh, the arcade version, which is the main game from Super Monkey Ball, because uh, technically this is an arcade port, that oh, was a launch that. game on the GameCube. It was a launch game? Yeah. Damn. I got it for Christmas. My sister and I got a GameCube for Christmas. And we got Super Smash Bros, or as I like to call it, Smash. Smash Brothers. Uh, and we got Smash and Super Monkey Ball. And, like, man, that is a strong launch lineup. Uh, good on you, Nintendo. Uh, but the main game, which I think is really spectacular, but which is purely a, like, level chase arcade game, that was available as an arcade cabinet that had a banana-shaped joystick. So you can play it by buying an arcade cabinet, or you can get a GameCube. I think I know which way I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Your floor can definitely support more arcade cabinets <laughs> than you already have. Excellent. Yeah, I look forward to playing more. I will definitely foist that upon you. Have you played anything, <laughs> Matt? <laughs> Um, other than Super Monkey Ball, I played more Metal Gear Survive. Did you survive it? Well, you remember last time I talked about how hot 
I was on Metal Gear Survive. I you really loved it. You were feeling it, dude. I really felt it. At you that said point, it is a perfect game for me. Yeah, I was about three to four hours in. I'd gotten through the first hour, which is atrocious, and I was loving it. I felt the ramp going up. Like I was just like, this world is going to get so big and so open. You gave it your like unmitigated recommendation. Yeah, I need to rescind that immediately. <laughs> we should start recording this more often. <laughs> I'm so sorry this to everyone that bought Metal Gear Survive. <laughs> Based on the zero stars bump, it was a false bump. What a I terrible two weeks you've had. This is why you always wait for me to finish my review, which takes a month to come out. Um, <laughs> Metal Gear Survive is an excellent five hours inside a really shitty, actually lifetime. not that much longer <laughs> game, but yeah, a shitty lifetime. Um so there's this element of Metal Gear Survive when you first go out into the wilds, into the dust is what it's called, where your uh, your vision is sort of very limited and it's, you know, there's lots more zombies and you see giant kaiju and it's like, and it seems like a big world and you're like, this place is so big and so full of everything. And what you gradually realize the more you play is that it is not actually a very open world and that a lot of things are hemmed in. And it's sort of the equivalent of like playing Turok on the N64 <laughs> and thinking like the world is so large when it really is just like you can't see very far in any direction. And so you don't actually know that you're being that you're basically just walking along like a series of corridors that have like vague openings. Did you see so that often. they are remastering and re-releasing Turok? The original Turok. And Turok 2, Seeds of Evil. Did you remember when we tried to play Turok 2 and we could not control? Because it was it was like one of the original dual stick uh, Yeah, it, well, you walk around with the C buttons and you aim with the joystick. It's and so it runs, surreal. Imagine if it ran at 10 frames <laughs> a second. It runs so poorly. You have the expansion pack and you're like, I'm getting the full experience. <laughs> and it just can't handle it, it on is, the N64. It is like a club with the strobe light. Yes. It is disgusting. It is so and bad. And also the failures of movement. Yes. And there's all sorts of things in that game that are like, it's a gun that burrows into their brain and comes out of their head like a spigot of water. And you're like, that's cool, except I can't aim at anything. <laughs> there is no chance of me ever seeing this thing that you worked on because I cannot point because the gun at another creature. Yeah, I I remember just like feeling like I was having a stroke as we played that game. That cartridge is black though, which is cool. It's a sick cartridge. So I've actually dope, seen dude. that cartridge so at like dope. various Salvation Armies and kind of wanted to pick it up yeah. just because it looks so Frame nice. Frame that shit. You don't want to <laughs> play it. Shadow box it. <laughs> um, anyway, Metal Gear Survive. It it's the world is not very large. It is relatively boring to traverse because there is little to no variety. But that's that opening those opening like three hours, everything feels so good. And they do such a great job of ramping the intensity and introducing you to new creatures and mm. and uh, new supplies that you pick up that you you feel this sense of the world being much larger than than you. And it's such a wonderful feeling. And then that just all comes crashing down when the game is over within the next after you do like five more hours of grinding and then. Game's over, <laughs> and you like fight the final battle, and then it just keeps going. And you realize <laughs> that this is very much a free to play game because it never ends. the The credits go, and then you like it, one of the characters that sacrifices themselves during the credits comes back because you literally could not advance further within the world without that character. Oh no! So it, it retcons like whatever attempt it was trying to create for like emotional impact and a storyline. And not that there was much there or anything. I take that back. Not that there was anything there. And then just is like, we're starting again. And like, just, you just can play forever. And that's, and that's what the game is. And it, but it serves no purpose anymore. That's because there is no end terrible. goal in sight. I mean, what is the goal of most survival games is usually to play forever. You play something like Don't Starve, you're just going forever. Well, that's, that's a that's a uh, roguelike though. And it's a roguelike and it's a very very it's a very important point. You're right that it's a roguelike and it's also a very very balanced game that continues to give you like levels of discovery. Metal Gear kind of implies a lot of the stuff that you will get and if you just keep putting the hours in, you'll get more of it. But it's like it's like I why do I need an auto turret like to fight the same three enemies that you've introduced and they are the only three enemies in the game. Wow. And it uh, yeah, no. Um 
it does some interesting stuff and like I actually kind of like one thing that it does, which is that it lifts at wholesale lifts entire environments for Metal Gear Solid Five. Like you were just in Afghanistan or whatever. There's um a part from not the Afghanistan section, but one of the other sections in Metal Gear Solid Five. There's this large villa, and the villa is like just dropped right into this game. I remember it perfectly, like because it's a very cool section in Metal Gear Solid Five because you're sneaking around taking down smart AI. In this, you just keep stabbing the same zombies in the back, but it's still like a really kind of well-realized and architecturally interesting villa. It's just the whole thing, wholesale, just plopped in there. But they don't do anything with it. And it's just like, it's there so you can like go walk through it and grab some stuff. And there's no like attempt at environmental storytelling, really. You can find like a little like a, a little weird like hideout that somebody was keeping if you if you kind of like read some of the traversal areas right and know where to jump but it's just it's such a weird and interesting idea to take a full building from another game and make you play through it without any reference to the fact that this is the exact same building and then just not do anything interesting with it that is extremely interesting to me and it's such a microcosm well of the game in general to me this game i i have not seen a game like this since majora's mask where majora's mask was blatantly all right we have this new guy that we think could direct zelda games but like i'm not sure we just made ocarina of time we should just take all of these assets and just say you can go make something and they made an extremely experimental zelda game that i think is amazing but which uses all the character models from the previous Zelda game. It never reuses environments, though. And the other thing that it does is it's clearly very ashamed of the fact that everything's the same. Because mm. the, the most memorable thing about it is that when Link jumps, he does these crazy like backflips and stuff. Like, they're very adamant that, look at these cool new animations I've made. It's not the same game. And he leaves footprints. He leaves footprints. Like wet footprints. Yeah, yeah, that expansion pack they wanted to show off because they knew Sonic Adventure was out there and you were like, the sand, he makes the footprints. <laughs> um, I mean, they clearly felt as though they needed to show you ways that that game was different. Uh, whereas it feels like Metal Gear Survive is adamant that it is the same. It, there's no shame, but there's also no sparkle of ingenuity. Yeah. When I think about what they could have done, because I'm not really sure what they were spending time on, if it wasn't character models or environments, <laughs> um, it's it's really it's kind of it's kind of like a letdown. I never like was pissed at Konami about whatever the stuff with Kojima was. Like, yeah, he seems like a terrible person he seems to work like, with. Yeah, he seems like he would be awful to work with, and they seem like they would be awful to work for. Yes, but the lack of ingenuity or the misplaced ingenuity on this game, kind of baffles me and it does let me down and anyway i would not recommend purchasing this game i'm sorry if anybody did i hope you enjoy those five hours right in the middle and then go out and resell it to gamestop or your get that ten dollars that you could have gotten and i guess buy tiny wings two copies of tiny wings and or remnants of nazith if you have a steam machine oh good call remnants of nazith or celeste which i have to say i keep going back to celeste not enough to really talk about it on the podcast yeah but Boy, do I love Celeste. That game is cool, man. That game is real good. I highly recommend Celeste. Yeah, um, that's a neat game. And I've played enough of it that I can do that, unlike with Metal Gear Survive, which will... You feel confident about your Celeste recommendation? I don't feel confident about anything, I'm except Celeste. Celeste is fantastic, and you've backed this up. You've yeah, I, w- I have not played a lot of Celeste, but I would recommend it. Uh, I have a fear with Remnants of Nazith that because I only play it in these bursts, and because I, like obsess over single levels and don't really progress very quickly that maybe that game is about a half an hour long if you just blast through it but i haven't experienced that because i'm just into getting better times so uh i give that my complete recommendation but maybe if you play it differently than me you'd have a bad time so we like platforming games yeah also check out god hand I don't know if you've heard of this game called God Hand. We tried to show it to some new people this past weekend in between monkey ball rounds. Uh, Their initial reactions were, I don't think the controls are right. Yes, I I don't think it controls very well was a quote. Uh, And then we showed them that it controlled well. Yeah. And then we failed to beat a challenge. 
again and again and again. But God, it was so fun. That game is incredible. God you guys, Hand is the best. God Hand is so awesome. Man. It's excellent. Uh, Want to play, play some God Hand after Dude, this? let's go play oh, wait, God We have to Hand. do our favorite things. My endorsement is just to start reading a big book. There's something particularly pleasurable about reading big books. And by big books, I mean, like, everyone's has their own definition of big books. Mine usually means, like, it's uh, about 400 to 600 pages, 400 or more pages. Um, but usually it also tackles big themes. I just finished reading Jennifer Egan's Look at Me, which is a deeply imperfect but really fun and excellent book that is, like, where she kind of out-franzens Jonathan Franzen like just several Badass. years after the corrections and is doing like her own riff on the um, tragicomic like Midwestern world that that even that David Foster Wallace was also fixated on. And the ending, she doesn't quite stick the landing, but boy, is it well written and she's just so good. And it, But it's also like a big book dealing with so many big themes and it's self-aware of itself as a big book. And... It was such a pleasure to read and to return to. And I feel like I spend a lot of time reading shorter novels and just kind of blazing through them because they're so propulsive and addictive. But there's something wonderful about just tearing chunks out of a big book. You know, you just, I would every so often go to the bar, order a beer, and sit there for an hour and just read. Oh, that sounds awesome. And it feels awesome. good. And you just know, you know that there's, there's going to be more, and eventually it'll be over, but you will have been on a journey. So my recommendation is to go out there, find a big book, and start reading a big book. Nice. I'm going to give you something short to read. <laughs> I like to set attainable goals, unlike this jack wagon. <laughs> um, okay, so... I was recently reminded of an article uh, written by Chuck Klosterman on the site Grantland, the now defunct site Grantland. Is it still, can you still read old stuff? You can. Though a lot of their links are broken, so you have to like Google it. Oh, shit. What you want, uh, I was reminded of this because I was having a conversation with a colleague and something we were talking about reminded me of this article. And so I sent it to them. And man, I love this article. And it's uh, about the Metallica Lou Reed collaboration which is called Lulu. So if you type in Chuck Klosterman Lulu, L-U-L-U, L-U-L-U, this will come up. And um, it is a terrific article because its entire premise is, this is the artistic dream. This is two of the biggest artists in the world sitting down and going, we're going to make something with no commercial potential. It is just for us. This is the dream. And it is the worst piece of art ever. (laughs) And it's just sort of ruminating on how maybe it's okay to have gatekeepers like record labels. (laughs) Uh, And I think it's a really smart point. And I think it's hilarious my favorite part in it uh, discusses, it's a footnote, and it says, like, a abridged list of things that Metallica has done that pissed off their fan base. <laughs> and the last item on it is switching from a lyrical preoccupation with killing other people to a lyrical preoccupation with killing themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's just a beautifully oh, man. executed piece of cultural criticism. So folks should probably run out. Find get that on their computer browsers and then print it off before Grantland is removed entirely from the web. Don't worry, I can probably recite it. <laughs> so just give me a call or write us at podcast at zero stars dot co. Let's go play some God Hand. Let's do it, man. <laughs>